0: Oh, good morning. You know, there's something about the rain. I just so look forward to what we are going to see in the sunset, uh, what the sky is going to look like after a beautiful rain like we got this morning. Are you guys excited? Ah. I'm excited. Let's stand and let's just sing our praises to him for giving us such glorifying beauty in the world. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.
1: verses 3, 6 tells us, When the woman saw that the tree produced fruit that was good for food, was attractive to the eye, and was desirable for making one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that we can come together this morning for this time of worship. And Father, I pray that uh, that we can just have a great time together, that we can grow together, that we can have some conviction And Father, we're thankful that we can celebrate the fact that that, when that fall happens, you had a plan, and we can be a part of that plan to be restored. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. morning. It's good to see everyone today. We're glad that you're here to worship with us today as we're here to lift up Christ together. Please make sure to take some time to fill out your connection card this morning. They're in the seat in front of you, on the back of the seat, and if you would like to, you can fill them electronically also. Before we continue with our our singing this morning, like you, I know the introverts, this is our favorite part of the service, Um, but we'd like you to take three minutes to go around to say hello to somebody and try to talk to some folks you haven't seen this morning. Make yourself known.
0: is promised.
1: How we know that song is true—that He lives in us, because in John 1:12 we read, "But to all who have received Him, those who believe in
0: His name, He has given the right to become God's children." Yes. <laughs> Thank you. 5.8 5 8, we
1: read, but God demonstrates his own love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If that doesn't raise a
0: hallelujah in your soul, nothing will. of my animals. Oh You're gonna hear my praises roar
1: housekeeping note. In your bulletin, I, I have a typo. It should be results, not resorts. Yeah. Hey, sometimes you go out in left field and you just stay there, so. Well, today we, be, we begin week three of Core 52, and as we began, it all started in the beginning. <clears throat> Genesis 1.1. Okay, hey, you—you you know what? You all did better than first service. <laughs> hey, I can't help but they were slackers, you know. And then, um, then God created humans in His image, Genesis one twenty-six. Yeah, and by the way, you—you you got a you. You got a freebie on that. If you look at the verse, it's a lot longer, so yeah. No, this week's a little bit longer one, but he created God. He created humans in his own image. Now, all was good except one thing. Whenever God created something, he said, it is good. He didn't go, that's good. He's like, that's good. He said, I did a good job on that, but then when he looked at poor Adam, you know, Adam's out there working, and he's naming all the animals, and God looks at Adam and he says, you know, it's just not good for a man to be alone. He needs somebody to tell him what to do. I mean, to be (laughs) be his helper, I should say. That's what I meant to say. At first service, you know, they booed that. And I'm like, yeah, really, you're going there? Tell me that's not true. But anyway, so you have Adam and Eve, and they're in paradise. Life was good. God gave Adam and Eve every freedom you could imagine. He let them eat of all the stuff in the garden. He even loved them so much. And this takes a lot of love because this is risky. He gave them the freedom of choice, the freedom to choose whether they were going to love and obey him or whether they were going to live to their lower instincts and do what they want to do. And that's amazing because God could have just as easily just made them, given them no choice, and said, you're going to love me. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, the Garden of Eden was a perfect starting point for humanity. It was beautiful. It was a bountiful paradise. It's a place where Adam and Eve could grow in their relationship with each other and their relationship with God. They could build humanity into a glorious civilization from that beautiful place of creation. But something went very wrong. It went very wrong. In both the Old and the New Testament, it points to what happens in Genesis 3, is where things went off course. You ever had a good thing going in your life? Life was good. But something happened. You decided that maybe life wasn't so good, even though it was. And one day you make a decision that causes everything to change. Maybe it causes you to lose everything you had. Adam and Eve lived in a paradise. They lived in the Garden of Eden. And life seemed perfect. But was it? That, but was it, is what we're going to talk about today. What happened in the garden, we call it the fall. And that's what we're going to be discussing today. And as we look at the fall, my hope is now, look, we all sin, we all struggle. If Adam and Eve didn't do it, somebody would have, because our baser instincts would have come out. But there's some things that we can do to protect ourselves, to help us to do the best we can to fight these things when they come at us. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. Verses 1 through 6 says this. Now the serpent was shrewder than any of the wild animals that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Is it really true that God said you must not eat from any tree in the orchard? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit from the, tr- from the trees of the orchard. But concerning the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the orchard, God said you must not eat from it and you must not touch it or else you will die. The serpent said to the woman, surely you will not die. For God knows when you eat from that from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the tree produced fruit that was good for food, was attractive to the eye, and was desirable for making one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The fall and our fall results from, first of all, a distorted truth. This morning, we're going to see how distortions can cause us to fall because this is the things that happened in the garden. It still works today. Adam and Eve uh, had it made in the garden. I mean, life couldn't have been any better for them. What happened to make them want to throw it all away? When you look from an outside view, it looks perfect. They're in a beautiful place. They were in close fellowship with God and with one another. They didn't have to spend money on clothes. I mean, they were in good shape. The weather was great. But something happened in the garden that God hoped but he knew was going to happen. And that thing that was going to happen was going to be called disobedience and sin. well, <laughs> The word sin is not in the actual text of Genesis 3, but the principle is plain to see. The word sin means to miss the mark. It's to fall short of who God is, both in his nature and character. And so remember, we were created in the image of God. So when we miss the mark, we fall short of that image. And when we do, it creates problems. None of us are immune to sin. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. How did Adam and Eve fall short of the image from which they were created? When God created Adam and Eve, he gave them free reign over everything in that garden, except one thing. God said the following just before he created Eve. In Genesis 2, the Lord God took man and placed him in the orchard in Eden to care for it and maintain it. Then the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat from every tree of the orchard, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. Everything was available to them, except for one thing. Adam knew this. God directly told him. Now from Genesis 3, we also know that Eve knew this exception, said that you can have anything but this. Now we'll talk about what Eve does with that, now, we don't know if Adam told Eve or if God told Eve, but more than likely, once Eve was made, he said, Hey, I got I to tell you, there's a lot of rules here. You can't eat of that tree. You got it? And she's kind of looking at him, but wait. So, where are the other ones? You can't eat of that tree. It's simple. It's simple one thing. The question that people ask many times is they ask, Why did God plant such a tree? And tell Adam and Eve, you can't have it. And on top of that, apparently this thing was a beautiful tree. The fruit looked gorgeous. And so, well, why did did God do that? Well, the short answer is very simple. And we won't go hours into this because I've covered it quite a bit. It's called free will. See, for Adam and Eve to truly love God, they had to have the ability to choose not to love God. Imagine, if you will, that you could pick any person on the planet and make them love you make them love you. They had no choice. They may hate your guts and you can snap your fingers and all of a sudden, oh, I love you. You're the greatest thing. All. And you know, at first it might be pretty cool. You know, you're walking around with somebody who's like way above your pay grade like I do. And, and, and you know, everybody's oohing out and they're wondering, how did he get her? Well, he made her, you know. He, but after a while, when she sits there and tells you with that empty look in her eyes, I love you, or he says with that empty look in his eyes, I love you, eventually it's going to like really how do I know if you do? It would be a very empty feeling. Oh, it would look good, but it would be empty. And see, God could not create us if he truly loved us without giving us the opportunity not to love him. And that tree was put there to see if they would not love him, if they would go down to their baser instincts and do what they wanted to do. This is why the tree was so beautiful. If God made it nasty and it just looks like it had mold hanging off of it and it's all rotted, look, nobody's going to go after that. So it's beautiful. All looks good in the garden. Adam and Eve, God, they spent time together, but something was happening. It didn't happen, it was happening that would change humanity. As each day passed, and we don't know how many days passed. I suspect it was a good deal of time. We know that Eve was given the side eye to that tree. And the tree was in the middle of the garden. And I've always said that you can you can't you can help what comes before your eyes, but you can help what you do after that. You know, like a, a lovely man or woman can walk in front of you. You can't help that, but what you can help is and then picking yourself up after your wife hits you really hard. <laughs> you can help that. And what Eve was doing is she noticed the tree, but it wasn't just notice. She's like, ooh. Now, she said you can't touch it. We'll, we'll hit that in a minute. But I imagine she was like, mm. And this went on for a while. She kept giving that thing a hard look. And over time, we don't know how long... The longing for the fruit of that one tree became increasingly enticing. Now, why? She has every other thing in the everything in the garden was hers. But this one thing. Here comes the serpent. Now, from other passages like Revelation 12 9, Revelation 20, verse 2, and there's a bunch of them in the Old Testament. We know that the serpent was Satan. Satan had had made his appearance through the serpent. And he had to have been watching her for some time. This wasn't just the first time he noticed it. I suspect he'd been watching her and watching her and watching her. Kind of like a cat watches its prey, you know. A cat sit there and they'll watch and watch and watch and watch and they'll move real slow and then finally, bang. Well, Satan's just sitting there like a cat, man, just watching her, just watching her, just watching her, just watching her. Just watching her. And then later, he struck. The serpent starts with a simple question, of which, by the way, he knew the answer. Genesis 3, 1. Now, the serpent was shrewder than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, is it really true that God said you must not eat from any tree of the orchard? Now, so he asks. He, he knows the answer to this, but he says, did, did God say you couldn't eat any of this stuff? He knew that wasn't true. But in verse 2, Eve catches that, and she says, oh, no, we can eat anything, we can, we can, have, we can eat all this. But in verse 3, she says, except for one thing, except for one. How did Satan work Eve? He used a reliable trick. He distorted truth. And the best way, now look, if you tell bold-faced lies, most people can sniff that out, you know. But if you sprinkle your lie with a half-truth, man, you can get away with it. Half-truths do allow us also to believe anything we want. If you don't believe that, watch the news. It's amazing what people believe because they only get a, well, most people get a tenth of the truth, but because of the half-truths you see on the news, people believe things to be true that aren't true. On both sides of the aisle, by the way. The serpent, what he did is he played her. He distorted truth. When Eve answers with the truth in verse 3, she distorts it in a different way. What she does is she adds to the truth. In other words, God never said you can't touch it. It'd probably would be a good idea not to, you know. It'd be like if I told my wife, hey, there's a sweet honey today, and I, I didn't do anything with her but I touched her. I'm, that's going to get you to death. But, so if you can't have it, you shouldn't touch it. But, but God didn't tell her that. So here's what we have a tendency to do when we're looking to not follow god or even for youngsters their parents what we try to do is we try to make keeping god's commands a, to make making we try to make keeping god's commands sound impossible i mean eve's kind of like instead of saying well i can't eat how in the world can i do this when i can't even touch it i mean this is just so hard she tries to add to what god says <clears throat> so we can distort truth by taking away giving a half truth or trying to add to the truth to make it more difficult. Eve said that, well, we can, not only can we not eat it, but we can't touch it or we're going to die. God never said that. The serpent further distorts the truth by telling her, well, you're not going to die if you eat of the fruit. Well, that is a half truth, because in truth, the moment she took a bite, she didn't die, did she? But the passage, when you read the Hebrew, it says, dying, you shall die. In other words, she started the process of death. Like the sands in the hourglass, your life starts. You know, when you're born, what are you doing? You're dying. <laughs> it stinks, doesn't it? I thought, about, I, telling, I thought about that in bed last night. For some, I was having a hard time sleeping. And I'm thinking, man, my clock is getting shorter all the time. But see, he made it sound like, oh, you're going to be fine. And in the short term, yeah, nothing much would change until one day the wrinkles came and the aches came. and Anyway, it's another story. He told her also another half-truth. Hey, eating this fruit will make you wise. You'll be like God, knowing good from evil in verse 5. The half-truth is she would know good from evil. That part is true. But you know what the lie was? That she would be like God. You know why that's a lie because she's not God she would never be like God the way that you can resist temptation that comes in your life and by the way temptation in itself is not a sin the way you can keep yourself from stumbling one way is to understand the whole truth not just that you notice when we swear in a witness we say do you swear to tell half the truth some of the truth and nothing but lies and truth so help you God no we we want the whole truth why because you can easily convict somebody on a half-truth. Ask people of color how that happens. It happens a lot. So the thing we have to realize is if you're going to be able to withstand things that come at you in your life, you need to know the whole truth, not just part of it. Let's look at verses four through six again. The serpent said to the woman, surely you will not die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Well, when the woman saw that the tree was produced fruit that was good for food, attractive to the eye, and desirable for making one wise, she took some of its fruit, she ate it, and she also gave some to her knucklehead husband, I mean to her husband who was there with her. And he ate it. You know, I always pictured when I used to read this that here's poor little Eve out there, and you know Satan's tempting her, and Adam's back, I don't know what he's doing, probably watching a baseball game or something. And and then and then all of a sudden she brings us, hey, try this. No, he was with her the whole time. That's amazing to me. But anyway, the second reason that our fall happens and the fall happened is distorted desires. See this the serpent played on another part of Eve's weakness and our weakness, our desires. When we when our desires are distorted, those distorted desires will lead us to a fall because we'll start desiring that which we shouldn't have, that which isn't ours, and it causes problems. The serpent knew how to tempt Eve. He seduced her in three ways in your life when you understand where your temptations come from for instance some people have problems eating i won't talk about that too much but why do you have a problem eating is it something is it a control issue i've known people who are bulimic it's control you know they've had that stuff going on uh sometimes it's you start eating because you're nervous sometimes you have problems with food for many many reasons but once you get to the root of why am i struggling with this now you can attack it and that's how things are in life When you understand where your temptation flows from, it's much easier to be victorious over it. As I said, temptation's not a sin, it's what you do with it. See, Eve was not content with all that God had given her. He gave her everything but one thing. And guess what? She wanted more. Secondly, Eve was not happy with herself, she wanted more. She was not happy with being created in the image of God. She wanted to be God. We'll hit that point a little later. There are three areas from from which all temptations flow. In 1 John 2, uh, John hits on this pretty well. He says, Because all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the arrogance produced by material possessions, is not from the Father, but of this world. And the world is passing away with all its desires. All those three, three things he mentioned. But the person who does the will of God remains forever. We are driven into temptation by the desire of the flesh, pleasure. She saw the tree produce good fruit that was good for food, so she wanted it. We're tempted by the desire of the eyes to see things that, were, that aren't ours that we want. She saw it was attractive to the eyes, so she had to have it. We're also lured to falling to the temptation of the pride of life, she saw this and Satan said, this will make you wise like God. And so it appealed to her. When you think about all the things that we struggle with, they all pretty much flow from those three things. Instead of desiring to follow the will of God, don't eat of the fruit of that tree, Eve was lured into thinking that she was missing out on something, that God somehow was cheating her. First John tells us that the one who does the will of God remains forever. That's what it was supposed to be like. And when you think about the temptations you've to in your life, they all flow from the desire of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the, and the pride of life. Jesus was tempted with all these things in the wilderness. Satan tried to hit him with every one of them, the same stuff he used on us. <laughs> think about this for a minute. How many families and lives have been torn apart by a spouse who says, Oh, I love you, honey, husband or wife, but then they see another person, i.e. the tree they're not supposed to have, and then they do everything they can to finally have that person. And then what happens is it destroys them, and destroys their families. This is the path King David took with Bathsheba, and his life was never the same. David was supposed to be out to battle with his men. Instead, he was lounging on the roof of his house, saw Bathsheba, and when he saw her, he's like, whoa, she's a smoke show. I want that. And so he had the power to say, hey, I I see her, I desire that, I see it with the eyes. Now I want what's not mine. She was married, and he was too. And then he had her delivered to her, and then he had her. And then his life was never the same. His family was basically destroyed. I think many of us make our own unhappiness, honestly. Most people, I think, who are unhappy make it themselves. You know why? They're not content with the blessings they have. David had all kinds of stuff, but he didn't have Bathsheba, had to have her, had to have her. And it led to a whole multitude of things that went on in his life and uh, that hurt his family. Eve could have had any fruit in that garden, but what did she do? Focused on the one thing she couldn't have. I'm glad we don't do that anymore. I know when I was younger, I used to have a problem with cars. My wife knew when it was coming too. All of a sudden I start talking about, oh man, this this thing's getting dirty. Car wash expensive. I think we need a new car, you know, and we tires. Oh, you know how much tires are, you know, instead of being content. And finally, honestly, when I got into ministry, I learned to be content. That's the only way we could survive, particularly, you know, because when I left the company, I lost a lot of income, a lot of it, but I had to learn contentment and be, feel blessed with what I have instead of lusting after what I didn't have. By the way, this is why a lot of marriages are destroyed. You're lusting after what you don't have instead of being happy with you Well, you know, we're just drifting apart. And I say, you know what? If you put as much into your spouse as you do into the person you're chasing, you'd have a good marriage, most likely. Let's drill down to verse 6. We're going to look at our last distortion. Verse 6 again says, when the woman saw that the tree produced fruit that was good for food, attractive to the eye, and was desirable for making one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Our third observation is a distortion of perception. Huh. When you consider the tree, the tree was enticing to the eyes, it was good to satisfy the, the flesh, but that's not what really, that was not the final thing that pulled Eve in. She knew that the whole time. She could see it look good. And I don't know how you could know it's good for food. Have you ever seen something that looks really good and then you eat it? It's nasty. This happened once with my wife and I. She likes liver and onions. I don't eat guts, okay? I come to your house, I'll eat pretty much anything, but I won't eat guts. But she had this liver and onions, had the gravy on it, that white, and it looked really good. And she's eating it. She says, why don't you try a piece? i okay, yes, this really looks good. I took a bite, and the first bite into it, I'm like, hey, this is okay. And then all of a sudden, that, the liver odor filled my, filled my head, and I about chucked it up. It was nasty. I'm like, how do you eat that stinky stuff? Another thing, tuna. I don't allow tuna cooked in my house. That stuff stinks to high heaven. I'll eat it cold, but don't cook it. But anyway, when, when um, I don't know how she saw that, thought that was good food. But anyway, she, she perceived it was good to eat she's saying this for all the time that was nothing new to her but you know it was new to her she didn't walk by and see that that thing made her wise she didn't walk by that and think that's gonna make me like god satan planted that seed in her head the serpent pushed her over the top this goes back to one of the half truths eve you don't understand honey yeah this is really good it looks good it's gonna taste good but it's gonna make you wise you're gonna be like god you're gonna know good from evil and you think, well, okay, what's the big deal? Well, the half-truth is, yes, she would know good from evil. That's half of it. But the other half, she's never going to be God. You know, the funny thing is, people still want that to this very day. We want to replace God, and we want to make the rules. We want to set our own destiny. We don't want to be accountable to anyone. And I know people say, well, I'm an atheist. There's no God. No, Look, there's every single person has a God. The question is, who is it? And they might, an atheist might go around and say, I'm God, I'm God, but by the virtue, the fact that they're denying God and that they're making the rules, that they're trying to set their own destiny, and then people who aren't even atheists, you say, well, you know, good people go to heaven. It's just, it's good people. I'm a good person. What you're doing is you're usurping God's position by saying, God, I'm going to tell you who's coming into your house. I'm making the rules. And whenever you do that, when you're supplanting God, guess what happens? Bad things. It happens in the home with our kids when we were kids whenever we were trying to be disobedient to get our way we were trying to supplant the position of our parents because at the ripe age of 16 which is the pinnacle of knowledge by the way um, when you hit that pinnacle you 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 will learn no more in life you know everything and uh, believe me I've been there and it lasts till you're an adult and then you realize that that's not true and some adults that don't realize that still aren't adults, even though they are chronologically. But what ends up happening is it causes problems. And so when I try to be who I'm not, when I'm trying to be God, it causes problems. We are not God. We were never meant to be God. We will never be God. And by the way, some of the local religions around the area, you know, they'll teach, well, hey, when you die, you're going to be the God of your own planet. Oh, no. You're a human being, you'll always be a human being. You will not turn into an angel you're not going to sprout wings out of your back angels are angels people are people god is god that doesn't change nothing changes that the problem is when god created adam and eve he created them to maximize their potential okay when god created you he wanted you to maximize your potential but when we're trying to be what we're not we end up instead of aiming higher we aim lower for our base instincts I would tell this to somebody who's not even a Christian. If you want to reach, if you want to achieve in your life, if you want to be a high achiever, you've got to reach something for something something higher than yourself. You've got to look for something bigger. Now, for some people, they'll pick something other than God, but if you want to be able to achieve in life, you can't just deal with your base instincts and make it all about you. You It won't work. The serpent was half right when he said her eyes would be open and she would know good for evil. That was true. All of a sudden, her and Adam are saying I'm sure Adam's like, Whoa. Eve's like, oh, we're naked, you know. They they didn't notice that. He, you know, and then they got some clothes on, and now all of a sudden you have Calvin Klein in the fashion industry. But she was never going to be God. As a matter of fact, what happened to her cost her everything. The serpent sought to, to get Eve to quit trusting God. That somehow God was holding her back that God was cheating her. And as kids, our parents, when they're trying to give us boundaries, what are we thinking? We're not thinking, man, they're really trying to protect me. Thank you, mom and dad. You're trying to take my fun away. You're trying to hold me back. You're trying to ruin my day. And some people do the same thing with God. The truth of the matter was God wanted Eve and Adam both to reach their highest potential, but they decided to follow their base instincts. Here's the thing. You will only follow and obey God to the level that you trust him. That's the truth. And even as kids, your kids will only follow and obey you to the level they trust you. Same thing. Adam and Eve had it made. The serpent went after Eve. He was watching her. He knew her weakness. He hid her base instincts of pleasure, possession, and pride. And guess what? It worked. The enemy dece- seeks to, do- to distort truth to distort your desires and to distort your perception of who you are. I'm gonna be honest with you, one thing, and I don't I meant to look this up because I don't know when it started. Well, you know what I hate, particularly in a restaurant, I hate that they put that stupid nutrition information by the food. You know, see if I don't see the numbers on the donut box, the donuts aren't gonna make me fat. Okay? <laughs> But they have to put the... You go into a restaurant... We were at the Olive Garden the other night, and one of the entrees had 1,800 and almost 1,900 calories. <clears throat> now, the way you get around it is you buy a bunch of other stuff that equals that, but you don't do the math. <laughs> but I hate that. But the truth of the matter is, when you're in the midst of temptation, the tempter is only going to tell you about the fun you're going to have. Eating, having that box of donuts with no nutritional information is just, you're going to think, man, these are good. And they are. You know the best donuts in town? Wherever I just bought them. They're they're all good. It's all good except for cake donuts. I don't care about those. But the fact of the matter is, um, your temptation doesn't come with a warning label. See, those calorie counts are a warning label. They're telling you, okay, you're going to eat this 1,900 calorie dish in one sitting and there's a price to pay for it you're gonna pay a price for it and you know that going ahead you might ignore it but you know it and that's the reason i hate those stupid labels But anyway, when you're in the midst of temptation when you're looking at that person of the opposite sex that you shouldn't be because you're married satan's just telling you man she or he'd be a lot of fun they're flirting with you you know we talk about that midlife crisis for guys i, I don't really believe in that the a guy that thinks that's that goes through that he's got other problems because you shouldn't be in a crisis. I got married at 20, and I heard guys a little older, you know, when I was younger, they were like, oh, I shouldn't have got married so young. No, I'd have got married younger. i had been one of those Missouri rednecks at 12 if I could have married her at that time. I love that woman. But the thing is, that temptation, Satan doesn't say, oh, by the way, if you go after that, guess what? You're going to emotionally scar your, your spouse. You're going to lose them. You're going to lose half your stuff. Your kids are going to probably hate you. Uh, it's going to affect your, your family for generations to come. But hey, go have at it. You know, it's kind of like an olive garden. Here's the information. Here's the, what's going to happen. You have at it. They're not telling you not to eat it. They're just telling you what's going to happen. The other thing that it doesn't come with is an actual label that says this is the actual cost of the temptation. Have you ever, I learned something hanging out with Rusty a little bit. Have you ever visited a car lot in Phoenix or Tucson because you saw an ad And that ad said that this car, you can get this car for several, I mean, it looks like it just smokes any price you can get in Sierra Vista. And then you get there, you know, car might be $7,000 cheaper than you get here, but then you get there and guess what you find out? They have put every discount known to man on that ad. For instance, you know, you get the third arm discount, you get the five eye discount, but I get to the dealership. Well, I'm sorry, you don't get that one because you only have two arms and you don't get that one because you only have two eyes. I mean, they give you all, they show all that stuff, and when you get there, you find out the real cost of the car is like $8,000 more than you thought it was. Because they didn't tell you the real price. And that's what happens with temptation. You never get told the real price. You just look at the fun part, go for it, and suffer the consequences. Satan didn't tell Eve when you do this, you're going to lose it all. And by the way, your beautiful f- everything, uh it's going to start aging. You're in the process of death now. He didn't tell her that. What you're going to find with temptation is the actual cost for the sin is never worth the price you pay. It just isn't. Next week, Jerry's going to take us into week four as we enter the fourth week of our, a final week of our beginnings part of Core 52. He's going to bring us a message about covenant. This is where God starts to kind of put things back together for us. This morning, during our song of decision, if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. God has done so much for us. Can you imagine? We've asked the question before if, if you knew that your child was going to be Adolf Hitler, would you have him? If, somebody, if you just knew this is going to be Adolf Hitler, they're going to kill, what, six million Jews and they're going to do all kinds of terrible things, would you still have that kid? Or would you not have that kid? See, God knew that Adolf Hitler was coming. And he still had us. And he gave us a way to get around so we didn't have to be like that. But he gave us a way to get back to him. That's love. He didn't create us knowing we'd sin and say, I hate you guys, and leave us wandering and say, hey, hell's going to be full of a lot of people. Heaven's going to have a lot of space. He sent his son to die on the cross so that we could have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus, you need Jesus. You're not going to get there without him. This morning, if Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning. We're going to stand and sing a song of decision. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward. And if you need prayer and you're struggling, if you want to come forward, I'd be glad to pray with you. But this time, if you have a decision to make, we invite you to come up as we stand and sing Reckless Love together.
0: Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You had been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. So, so kind for me. You won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of. Yeah. yeah.
1: As we prepare for communion this morning, I love that song because to die for someone else, it does seem a little bit over the top and reckless. But if your child were in a position to where they were getting ready to lose their life and you could stop it, you would pretty much do anything to stop it. You would sacrifice your own life to it because why? That love for them is so deep. Now, the neighbor's kid, you're like, ah, sorry, it stinks, you're dying. Can't do anything about that. Can't help you. But your own, because of that love, you're going to do it. And so in a sense, even though what appears to be reckless isn't reckless because, you know, we sing about God's reckless love. It's really not reckless. You know why? Because he loves us. And so Jesus went to the cross, not because, well, I drew the short straw, but because of that love that he has for you. I'm telling you, I'm not telling you anything new. The world is cruel. It really is. It's beautiful and everything, but it is cruel. It will chew you up and spit you out. But when you understand that God loves you to the point where he did something that appeared to be reckless by letting his son die on the cross for you, that should change things. You know, we kids struggle with self-esteem anymore. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. One is video games. I'm not against video games, but when your face is in a video game 24-7, you need to get a life. Adults, too. But the second part of it is we're telling these kids, well, you were here by accident. You came from a monkey. Life has no meaning. Hey, have some self-esteem. Well, once again, when you're going to get a self-esteem and things like that, you've got to reach for something higher above yourself. And when you realize that you're created in the image of God as we learn from Genesis. And then you further learn that this God, even though we sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, when we find out this God still loves us no matter what we've done, and that his son died on the cross for us, I don't know how much more esteem you can get. We can get through anything in life. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful that you love us so much that your son went to the cross for us. You loved us so much that there had to be a way to fix the sin problem that we've created, and that can be done through your son Jesus. His blood was shed on that cross as represented by the cup. His body was just beaten to pieces with a beating that we deserved, but he took it for us, and that's represented by the bread. Lord, as we take these emblems this morning, I pray that that as we look into our hearts, we do so with a heart of thanksgiving and appreciation, and that we realize that we have a purpose in life.
2: Thank you.
1: on the inside of your bulletin for announcements this week uh, jules your lol group's meeting this tuesday okay because she was not feeling well last week Uh, giving statements are in the in the mail system over here. Uh, if, if you haven't picked yours up yet, uh, Peaches Pantry is needing some ramen and other snacks. There's a donation basket. Sing Inspiration is going to be at the Whetstone Church of Christ on the 28th. Also this evening, all Rogers Group's meeting, all the the Jerry's Group's meeting, and Dale's Life Group will be meeting in here as they're going to be going through Core 52. And he'll be meeting each week that we have that we that we're together. Um, we have our Bible studies this week and. There was one other thing. Oh, yes. Super Bowl Sunday, we're going to have a game night here at the church. We'll show the game up on the screen. And um, we'll have people can set up in the other building where games and stuff, bring finger foods, uh, bring enough for yourself and other people. We've done it in the past. We'll try it again this year. It's been a while since we've done it. But with our, I, I, honestly, I didn't want to watch the game on our old system because it's like I can do better than that at home. I'm not sure I can do better than that at home. But anyway, uh, we're going to give it a shot this year. Also, memory verse for week three. This one's a little bit longer. First video, I had a vi- first service, I had a video glitch. I fixed it. So here we go.
3: Core verse number three. It's a longer verse to memorize, so we're going to have to really concentrate. But remember, keep reviewing your previous verses. Genesis one one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis one one. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Genesis 1.26. Remember, keep reviewing. I'm not going to go over the three rules again because we really need our time to focus on this long verse. Here's another memory trick, however. So this would be uh, memory trick number four. Break longer verses down into smaller units. This verse has two parts. Three parts in the first half, three parts in the second half. It begins with so, 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 when the woman saw, 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 I know it sounds silly. It's effective. So, when the woman saw, what did she see? That the fruit of the tree was good for food. That the fruit of the tree was good for food. That the fruit of the tree was good for food. And maybe you want to kind of uh, pluck a piece of fruit and put it to your mouth. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. And that it was a delight to the eyes. And that it was a delight to the eyes. And that it was a delight to the eyes. And that it was a delight to the eyes. What did she see? Two things so far: that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes. And you know, you kind of point to your eyes. When the, so when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise. And that the tree, we're going back to the tree, she saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and desired to make one wise. I think I said desirable earlier. Again, if you don't get it exactly right, no pressure, get as close as you can. The point is to know the verse, not get caught up in exactness. So, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree, we're going back to the tree, was desired to make one wise. What did she do? She took its fruit and ate. She took its fruit and ate. You can use the same uh, kind of motion. She took the fruit and ate. And also, this is part two, what did she do? First is what she saw, second is what she did. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, And that it was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was desirable to make one wise. What did she do? That's the first half, three things. What did she do? She took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And the third thing, he ate. She took took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Might use a different hand. So let's try it all together. Genesis 3, verse 6. So, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, what did she do? She took of the fruit, or she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, And he ate. Genesis 3, verse 6. Might need a little more work. It's a little longer verse. But three to five minutes is about normal. Good luck.
1: Also on our church website, we have the memory verse cards. It's on sheets of paper. So there's, what I think, eight on each one. So you can print those off if you want. I've got mine hanging up on my credenza at the office. So I can keep looking up and keep looking up and keep looking up and keep looking up. Uh, you know, in your first service, we didn't see the video. We just heard the audio after about a, about a minute of it. And as he's doing it, I'm sitting there getting a picture in my head of him doing all this stuff. I wasn't too far off. The delight one was kind of different. But anyway, also uh, in the um, as far as our prayer concerns, please keep Brad Rikert in your prayers. He's been in the hospital in Tucson recovering from a procedure. Uh, I think he's watching today. So give him a, a good shout out. Um, We also uh, got a note from Show Me Christian Home. We have a lot of people we've been praying for that have health issues that we want to continue to lift up. We have shut-ins. We have troops who are tied to First Christian. Uh, We have our outreach that we're focusing on this month is CareNet, and the mission is Boise Bible College. In a couple weeks from Southern Mexico Mission, we will have um, Adrian Sanchez here. He'll be bringing us the message for that, so we're looking forward to that. All right, at this time, let's stand together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that we can come together, and Father, we thank you that even though uh, we marred your image, that that image can be restored through your Son, Jesus. Lord, as we live life this week, I pray that we live it with conviction, with joy, and with hope. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.